Hey up, my name's Ben and you're listening to file 17 of the YYY files. This file belongs to definitely the most musical person we've had on the podcast so far, um, but it's nice to see that their hobbies and passions have been driven by the things that we talk about most in this podcast, and that's Stoke City and Stoke-on-Trent. You'll probably know him more by his stage name, Merriman, but Bob Moston maybe will figure more about the man behind the musician, am I right? Yeah, more than likely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm good, Ty. You all right? Yes, very good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, very good. So, let's jump into this. For those of you that don't know, the YYY files are Stoke City stories and they're told by you. Without people like Bob, the files just couldn't be possible. That's why I'm asking for you to come and share your story too. If you want to appear on the show, like Bob and create your file, head to the website and click create your file. That's the yyyfiles.com or on all social media at the YYY files or email the yyyfiles at mail.com. All address and handles have no dashes, no spaces, and no caps in them. So, mate, my first question, as always, why, why, why are you a Stoke fan? And I want to know from the beginning. So, probably a, a very typical route. Uh, my dad would take me down to the, to the old Victoria ground to watch the games from there. That's it, really, isn't it? When, when you're a little kid and you bought the kit and you, you, you and your holiday pictures, you're wearing the old Stoke kits. It just becomes a bit ingrained in yeah. who you are, doesn't it? Yeah, so I think my first game was... I mean, I don't remember my first game like exactly, but I'm pretty sure it was a drubbing of West Brom at home. I was born in 85, so I'm t- you're probably looking around the, the, the early 90s, really, mm-hmm. when I first started going. So, you know, the, the kind of the first Macari era. So a good time to kind of get into it, you know, a bit of magic at the old ground. Yeah, definitely. And um, by the sounds of you not knowing exactly what your first game was, it wasn't that particular game that, that piqued your interest. It was... Just the whole place in general then, right? And as yeah. you say, it was sort of ingrained in you as you were bought kits and I'm assuming taken down more than one time past your will. <laughs> yeah, went to went went for a few times, you know, a good few years kind of thing with me dad. You know, that kind of classic sat outside the pub with about 20 other kids with a bag of crisps while they're all in having a couple of ales before the game, that kind of quintessential football imagery of the kids out the kids outside the pub job. But yeah, and you know, I had a nice time doing that for a little while. I don't actually think I got into football as an actual thing until a bit later on, you know, like probably Euro 96 mm. and then like World Cup 98 was the first time I started getting a bit more into the actual football side of football, if you know what I mean. I was going the games because it was kind of a, like a thing you'd do. But then um, it took me took me a few more years till I started getting interested in football. And actually, I didn't really get interested in it like and you know you, you get to a point where you become so intricately interested in the game you are convinced you could manage any team in the world successfully oh absolutely i i, I, really I, re- I remember that when i was 12 years old yeah <laughs> so, uh, it's like my uh, my late kind of like probably turning 20 that kind of age where i decided i was a football genius at that point but you know when <laughs> i was a kid it was just it's the cultural side of it isn't it you know you're with your family you, you know you meet with your dad's mates or the kids around and you go and there's the buzz around the game, and it's and it's all that stuff that really got me got me interested at, at that particular stage. I certainly know what you mean. Like, it wasn't the game itself; it was just the feeling of it all. Like, I used to go down with my dad. I still go down with my dad, as a matter of fact. Uh, but but it was just nice to have that moment with him. And then again, as you say, it it was just being part of something and having the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and yeah it's just something that become infectious for me very quickly and well there's nothing else like it is there really i like, don't think so no you can't really go and experience something the same because other sports have atmospheres but it's not the same as it football's got 
I'd say especially kind of like in this country, it's got this kind of like quintessentially British kind of working class atmosphere to it that you, you just don't really match in other places. Definitely not. And I think even more specifically to that, I think Stoke have a big part of that as well, especially mm-hmm. during the good times when we were going, you know, under Macari. And for me, that was sort of the prime Pulis days. It, it was just such a positive place to be around. And with that positivity, yeah. just come such a, a tidal wave of atmosphere. And it was overwhelming. And I'd never seen anything like it. But I didn't feel like a spectator. I felt part of it. I felt yeah. involved. And there wasn't any thought of me... I wouldn't want to go again, or even worse, the feeling that if I did sort of not go again, then they'd suffer because of it because they needed me. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's it's just that strange thing you go through when you're a child. I know what you mean. So if we develop that a bit more, then so you're talking about that time that you were developing into more of a football fan. What are your memories then of 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 that time? Well, one of the questions you asked me early when I, when we were kind of like organising this was about mm. like. The kind of the, the worst moments of being a Stoke fan. And actually, okay. that probably came very soon after my initial kind of like getting into the games. You're talking kind of like, you know, the late 90s. So after Bakari had left his second stint, hmm. you know, the Brian Little, Chris Kamara, that kind of that little era. Because I was I was quite young, you know, I, I, I kind of I fell a bit out of it, out of the out of the habit of, of following Stoke, really. And I tended to just follow the football was on TV, you know, like because you know, we had Sky at home, so I just watched the football that was on. And I mean, that was like Man United five times a week, but I'd, I'd be following <laughs> the football that I could access in that respect. Yeah. Because we, I'd kind of fell out, of, fell out of love of going as well because it became a bit dire. So we weren't going like that, and then I ended up going. I went off to uni, and that was when I kind of rekindled my my my, my feelings with the club. So kind of like my high school years and then college years, I kind of drifted a little bit away from football. So when I'm thinking about moments where like me, me kind of my worst times as a Stoke fan it's probably those times where I just drifted away from engaging with it for a little while and I got I got a lot I got like really into music and things like that you know other factions of my life but then I think I found like a group of friends at uni who reminded me of that kind of like that magic of supporting your local club and then and it just all kind of just just got going for me again and then I mean I've not looked back since I've just got more and more obsessed with the idea of it really so that kind of late 90s into the early noughties era, I didn't, you know, I, I disengaged a little bit and then I got back into it coming up to like, you know, the the kind of the second coming of Pulis. I kind of, I started going the games a bit more and then it just, I mean, it kind of coincided with that vamping up and then eventual like promotion to the Premier League, which was, I mean, obviously that that whole process would have hooked, would hook anyone in massively. Mm. So, and, you know, it went from like that kind of like that, period of a five or six years where I just disengaged to this magic moment where we, we, we ended up in the in the top league in the country. Mm. So it's a funny time for me really, a bit of a roller coaster like me and engaging with it in the early nineties, drifting away by the late nineties then, coming right back in, you know, a few years later. Since then I've you know, I've just been very interested in the whole thing all the time, you know. Oh absolutely. Like as you say, the second coming of Pulis era would hook anybody and I can completely understand how you can lose interest when the football isn't as good I think you can draw parallels to that now yeah I think with me though it was my I was not it was my naivety though be as as being a kid you know Mm. Um, I think now I've none of this recent kind of like the since being relegated or anything like that at no point is my interest 
kind of drifted at all. In fact, it's probably heightened more than ever. Mm. Like in the kind of the torment of it all, I've become much more interested in in, in the intricacies more than ever. I, I just think it's when you're a kid, isn't it? Like and the access to it, because as well, it was the time where for Stoke you were following on on. If you weren't at the game, it was teletext in the back of the Sentinel the next day. Exactly. And it wasn't like now where you can follow every day on social media. You can keep yourself up to date with the club. It's a different thing now. Like when it wasn't going well at Stoke, there was no kind of, unless you were going the games, there was no access points. You know what? You happily took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to say that the parallels sort of separate now because we have got that access now. You're right, we're able to just engage in Stoke City whenever we want. At a time where Stoke weren't doing so well, back under the times that you just mentioned, why would a newspaper broadcast much about the wrongdoings of the club? Or why would Teletext go on and on about that, when they can go on about the Premier League and stuff like that? They want to talk about things that are exciting. Times change, and as we're getting more insight into what's going on at the club and we're all trying to figure out where Stoke City went wrong... And, and of course, we're all given platforms these days on social media, but we're all got our say, where perhaps then we didn't. Yes, absolutely. And if we're talking in the pub or if we're talking as we are now, we don't want to be talking about negativity too much. We always want to be talking about the good days. Absolutely. And if they're struggling to come about, then, yeah, I can completely understand. So it's sort of lucky then, in a way, that that good period come along for you, because that sort of coincided with, as you said, your friends getting you back into the football swing and just reignited to the point you are now right that's right yeah because I, I, I mean i remember that uh, that draw against leicester that that took us up i remember going to watch that at uni i was away in lancaster so i wasn't in stoke i went away to uni mm-hmm. i remember going to the uh, the walkabout in lancaster in a stoke kit just the only stoke, fan, <laughs> the only stoke fan in the city it felt like at the time but like it was absolutely magic you know and, and mate, mates came along and kind of experienced it with me Nowhere near as exciting by a you know a nil nil draw as I was at the time, but uh, that really was that kind of the start of a bit more of an obsession. I think f- football and mates are just a massive. There's a massive overlap, isn't there, for a lot of, of course people? There is. I think I've got friendships that possibly without football might not even exist because we've probably spoken about football for ninety percent of the time we've ever spoken about anything. You know what? I know for a fact that I've got friendships that wouldn't have existed through football partially because of the years sort of growing up on social media with football as well yeah uh, mates through school and and work that have been forged through football whether it's through my own team or talking about other people's even now I live away so I talk to a lot of Birmingham fans at the moment uh, and I'm getting plenty of stick from them <laughs> but even stuff like this we probably wouldn't be having this conversation now if it wasn't for football, right? Well, no, absolutely not. You network with people you you just wouldn't speak to otherwise, and you do it definitely at the, the game as well. Yeah, you speak to people that you probably that you could pass in the street, and you know you may not acknowledge them, but because you're at the game and you've got a matched identity, haven't you? There, you know why you're there. Yeah, you've you know? got common ground, and that's it. That common man in the street you might have just walked past an hour ago, but you're hugging him now because your team's just gone one nil up. It, it's yeah, it's yeah. There's a lot of physical contact with strangers, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. So I just want to take it back a little bit because you were talking about then about the period where Stoke weren't quite as good, and you were getting into other hobbies. One of those, of course, would have been music. Yeah, a big reason why a lot of people listening may have heard of you already. So you're of course Merriman. I am getting that right, right? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as I alluded to in the intro, your music is inspired by Stoke-on-Trent. Mm-hmm, and yeah. 
I love that. And I love the explanation that you give me off air. So if you don't mind, take us through how all this started for you, where your inspiration come from. Yeah, okay. I mean, I've been writing songs for, well, I think at this point now, for half of my life, I've been writing songs. And I started off writing kind of throwaway nonsense. And then I started writing indie, typical kind of stuff. And then I got to a point where I'd, I'd moved back to Stoke. And I'd almost kind of, I wanted to write something completely honest, but none of the kind of the cliched topics of, of heartbreak and being rock and roll and all that kind of stuff actually matched <laughs> me as a human being, because I'm not particularly here. Uh, <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> not relatable then. And I've, I've been with the same the same girl for, for, well, for since I was about 17, and we're married now, so. Oh, trust me, that's pretty rock and roll. Don't worry about that. Chasing all that kind of stuff, it's here. You know, there's not loads to write that, that, that engage in interesting lyrical content. And I just started, I did a couple of songs in a band where I, I made some local references. And it, and it and a few people commented on it and like, and it captured their imagination a bit, just like it captured mine. And then it just kind of just sparked this, this kind of like thirst in me to start looking at those kind of specific areas and start writing. And like I said to you, like I, I listen to a lot of stuff like the Kinks and, uh, and the Beatles and, you know, massive like obvious names in, in mm. world pop history but they wrote very specifically about local areas and you know more recently bands like pulp and then like arctic monkeys and stuff like that again like really specific local references and why not stoke-on-trent it's it's a massive city and it's definitely an interesting city it is it is a very very different place than a lot of other places in the in the country you don't mm. often get a place like stoke-on-trent like the, the size of it where it doesn't seem to actually build up to a centre at any logical point. <laughs> you know, it's it's so illogical in so many ways and so forgotten because it's not northern, it's not southern, it's not eastern or west. Yeah, it, it doesn't fit in any of those kind of labels. It gets attached with a lot of stigma because um, it's just an easy beating stick, I think, because it's plonked and forgotten in the middle of it. But then it's got this, this great history that is unmatched by so many other places. I mean... I mean, the obvious, the pottery industry. I mean, you cannot match that history in so many places, you know, and it links in with the canals and, like, just, like, blokes like Josiah Wedgwood and stuff. The, the, the history is incredible. And then it, you'd link it with this bizarre kind of forgotten city that has been destroyed by the kind of, like, the, the taking away of the mining industry and the pottery industry and all that. And you've just got this, this just bottomless well of, of things to write about. And through that, you get these quirky characters, like just some absolutely wonderful and bizarre human beings that reside in the city. And I mean, you like me, you probably come across like stories in the Sentinel, and you just, like you come up on your like your online feeds, mm-hmm. and they're intriguing. Some of the things you think, what's happened now? What's this? Who's <laughs> what have we done this time? <laughs> you know what's been going on here, and, it, and it's brilliant. And I just, it's given me constant inspiration, really. Like. I released an album in the summer of, of that was, and I did ten tracks for that, and they were all kind of about this, this almost like this post-industrial decline. But since then, I've been just pooling ideas for for new songs. And you'd think now, like I've released three albums, I've got about four, I've done about forty songs now, but I've got ideas from about forty-five, fifty. They just keep handing themselves to me, and I don't know if it's because I'm looking for them in a different way, but. You know, there's just so many interesting little quirks about this place that just seem to just lend themselves to some kind of like creative uh, spark of writing. And I, I just find it's 
it's a great hobby to have because it engages me with the place I live in a really positive way as well. It's so easy to say that Stokes crap and living in Stokes crap because people say it and I understand why they say it. But for me, like I went to visit my, my great uncle and he's, he lives in like a residential home in Fenton. And after I visited him, I just went for a walk around Fenton for about 40 minutes just taking pictures of buildings that look like they're about to fall down. And I was well happy. You know what? I, I think it's really great as well. I just love how you've you've found something that you really enjoy and you've turned it into something productive and creative and something to be able to share that with other people. Because I know that, okay, that's something that I may have done with football, but it's just always, it always produces the best results when people find that source of inspiration and that could be very difficult to find some people can't find that for years but once yeah. you do like you say you just can't stop it just keeps coming and keeps coming and it turns into something that you passionately enjoy but it also brings success and i know that we spoke off air again about why sort of passion brings success you mentioned all those popular bands you mentioned then using their local inspiration I've got a pretty good idea of what the answer might be, but why do you think that finding that passion brings that success? I mean, the success that my music's had has been local success. Like, you know, I I know that what I do is very niche, and uh, and, and it's a hobby as well. So I I kind of don't have, you know, aspirations for some kind of golden globe or something. Mm. Uh, the reason it's kind of like successful locally, I think, is it, and it comes from the reaction when I do when I play live more than anything else is when people speak to me about the songs afterwards. And I think people appreciate positive messages and people appreciate, you know, people aren't just just focusing on negatives. I think mm. I think like that there is, there are positive voices. And I mean, obviously I'm not the only one. The, the, the art scene in Stoke-on-Trent's amazing. There are so many absolute heroes knocking around this city, like culturally and artistically. And I think people do appreciate that. I know that for a lot of people, art and music and stuff is, is an untangible part of the economy but for me I just think without it Stoke really would just it would just sink there are so many people in all of the areas of Stoke who who do engage with it as a landscape and as a source of inspiration and I think people do do appreciate the fact that people are promoting the positives of it yeah those people finding that message in there a relatable message and I completely understand what you mean about okay, your success, it's relative, isn't it? It's, yeah, of course it is. And it's how you define it as well. You could have success in hundreds of thousands of people listen to your music occasionally, or yeah. you can have that group of a couple of thousand people that just love it, and it depends what you want more. And I'm pretty much the same when it comes to this. I do a Stoke City podcast where I interview fans, I know that this isn't everyone's cup of tea. It's a big, long podcast, and it's about something very niche. I know that my mum, for example, won't want to listen to every single one of these. Yeah, of course. And of course she wouldn't. Exactly. (laughs) But (laughs) along the way, you collect those people, however niche or small that it might be, that just relate with it so heavily and just love it. And that's what I love about this. I don't get the most amount of listens on this podcast, and it's not important to me. And... It sounds like the same as me. It's a hobby. It's not something I, I financially gain from, but it's just it's just nice to have that core group who really enjoy it. Yeah. I, I get the same with this, and I know how that must feel for you as well. Yeah, and it's what you want, isn't it? Because it's, it's, that's genuine as well. It's genuine. Yeah, exactly. You know, 
people are seeking it out because it's not it's not presented easily either. You know, people are if people want to listen to my music and people want to listen to this podcast, they're looking for it, aren't they? You know, they're not they're not it isn't being promoted to them mm. on like you know all these expensive advertising feeds or on the TV or whatever. They're looking for it because they're into it. Exactly, and for me, that's just more raw. The, yeah, the, absolutely. The best, <laughs> the same with music. The best music always is the music that you discover yourself. It's not yeah, the music yeah. that your mates told you about. It's yeah. it's the stuff that you find yourself and you relate to, and you go, "Cool, that's that, that just fits with me." Yeah, yeah. And and whether that's a podcast, whether that's music, whether that's a football team, when it fits, it just motivates you and it changes your mood. And yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think, to to some degree, I know how how you feel when you sort of create stuff, and it's nice to know that it makes people happy. Yeah, that must be so rewarding for you. Yeah, it's it's well, of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. If I, I put something out and people just tell me that they've enjoyed it, I just think you know I've written this song at home, and I've recorded it at home in in this little room that I'm sat in right now on yeah. on a shoestring budget just through a laptop, and I've got people listening to it and. They're saying, you know, oh, my kid likes this song, and and you know, and I've I've been asked to like send birthday messages to people's <laughs> kids and stuff, and I'm like, I live about eight streets away, mate. Yeah, you've <laughs> got like, to be honest. Well, don't do that. Yeah, but still, like, <laughs> that's it. It's so cool. I was at Middleport Pottery the other day, and I went, I, went, I signed in at reception because I was doing doing something there, and um, someone came up to me and said, oh, someone told me Merriman was here, and I'm looking at him like, what are you on about? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 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 you know, someone some celebrity had walked in I'm thinking I've, it's taken me 10 minutes drive here you know and I've been here about 18 times this year already just for a brew like it's it's, <laughs> it's a funny thing really kind of having few, having like this little niche kind of group of people who definitely know who you are even though you don't know who they are as well sometimes it's, yeah. it's a, it is rewarding and it's and it's kind of like it's dead exciting as well if someone recognizes me and I don't know them it's that's just dead exciting for me because I think you know <laughs> like this is my hobby and this is this is where it's taking me it's really cool it is really cool and and we ran about forging relationships earlier yeah and and it's just created new relationships through that I yeah. spoke to well to be fair to him a bloke came up to me while I was uh, shopping in the supermarket and said uh, you're Ben, right? I listen to your podcast, and it gets yeah. me through my night shifts. And it and it's just like, oh, thank, thank you for coming and saying that. Like, I know mm. what you mean. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That it is. I don't expect praise, and and I'm sure you don't either. But well, you'd but, be mad to expect praise. Exactly. You'd be mad to think that everyone's going to like it. Yeah. You do expect that. You're in for a shock, aren't you? You absolutely are. <laughs> like, if you go into anything like this, any hobby with any definite ambition of getting somewhere with it if it if it takes you somewhere fantastic of course but you should do it because not just because it makes other people happy but something i was just going to come on to there and it must make you happy too otherwise you wouldn't be doing it music for me is like going to watch stoke i can't not do it Mm. like stoke at home to blackburn this weekend i could be offered something lovely to do something dead exciting to do you know but I, I, I feel obliged to go to the game mm-hmm. in a bizarre way. Like, I will enjoy it. Of course I will. But I feel like there's, there's a part of me that knows there's a game on and feels like you've got to go to that game. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have a choice now. It is part of you to the point now where you can't not do it. And it's the same with music and songwriting for me. I know that if I've not played a gig or produced something or done something proactive with, with the music that I'm making for a couple of weeks... 
I start feeling it. It starts bothering me. Mm. It's like it's like a summer without international football. You're like, what do I do with my? <laughs> what do I do? There's yeah. a massive part of my brain that is completely void because no football is there to be discussed or whatever. You know, it's I love it, and it, but it is at that point now where I it's, it's just part of my existence, and I'm I'm happy about that. But I don't I don't know what I'd do without it now. You know. That's the thing. I like a lot of people struggle to find their purpose in life. Some people find it through their job. Some people find it through the people that, that they meet. Some people find it through all of those. Some people yeah. find it through their hobbies. Yeah. It's just nice to feel like you're contributing to something bigger. And, yeah. And it must feel for you that you're sort of contributing to Stoke on Trent. I'd like to think in a, in a little way I am. And I feel I'd like to think that the more I do it, the more of like a little, a tiny little legacy you kind of leave behind of of a snapshot of a time, you know, a bit of a bit of a time capsule for, for people in the future and, and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I I think that if everyone in Stoke-on-Trent kind of pulled together with positivity, it, it would make a difference in, in, a, in, a, in a funny way. So yeah, I do feel like I'm doing my tiny little bit by, you know, spreading the good words, you know. The positivity has got to start from somewhere. And yeah. no matter how many people you affect, whether it's few or hundreds, like as long as you're spreading the message, and I was on about success and reward almost. Your music's, of course, been tied in with Stoke City too. Yeah. I'll give the example. A lot of people will have heard this podcast through the Wizard Drivel, right? And of course, one of your songs is now the theme tune of the Wizard Drivel podcast. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah. Which is really cool, right? <laughs> it is. It's just, it is really, these are the things where I'm just like, get in. That's amazing. Yeah. Those little things are so exciting. Yeah. Just, I mean, how did that come about? I can't remember actually. I, I can't remember <laughs> who got in touch with who now. It, because I mean, like you say, you make so many contacts through the football that I was, I've probably, I'd probably engage with the Wizards of Dribble on kind of like Twitter or something in advance, mm. and then we just spoke about something, and then it just came about from that. And I mean, I'm, I, I, I quite often say to people, you know, if you need a bit of music to stick on something, by all means, you know, stick my stuff on it because, you know, it's there. And, and it's a lot, if you're doing local creative stuff, you know, go for it. Use it. It'll be great for everyone, really, to just, you know, scratch each other's backs. But it's dead exciting because I listen to that podcast. And when I put it on, I mean, it's exciting. It's weird at the same time because one of the songs <laughs> will come on at the start. <laughs> And, you know, I don't want to be that guy who's listening to his own music because it's, it's, it is a bit, I don't know, I find it strange. I always find that when I've recorded something, I try to never listen to it ever again. <laughs> but it is, it's just, it, it, it's exciting to know that through their audience, my music's being played and and little bits and bobs like that. Because they tag me when they put the uh, the podcast out on Twitter. Yeah. And I get the tag, like, and I feel, I, I feel like I'm part of this podcast, even though, like, I've never said a word on it. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. In its small way, you are part of that yeah, podcast. Yeah. You know, you're you're the first thing that they hear, and yeah. the last thing that they hear if they play it at the end as well. You're, like yeah. it, it, and it is a shame that the message of that song has become so pertinent about you know ne'er do wells. Yeah, you know, it's, I'd wish I wish that song would become an inappropriate thing for Stoke because we'd be doing so so bloody well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, ne'er do wells right now is just spot on, isn't it? It's oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask, actually, and you may have already answered my question. If there was a, a song of the yours that you'd written that had sum up Stoke, is that the one, or is there others? Right now, that's the one. I'd say that's the one right now. Um, it's you know, it's about <laughs> just kind of the 
general frustrations with everything that goes wrong all the time. But uh, I've got a song. There was a song on my second album called "The Old Vic" about about the Victoria Stadium uh, or the Victoria Ground, of course. That one probably pulls on my heartstrings a bit more when I when I sing the words because it's about going as a kid with my dad, mm-hmm. you know. And it, and and because that stadium is gone, it's like it just is. It, it's pure nostalgia. And and, I th- and obviously a lot of your love for a football club comes from that, the nostalgia, especially mm-hmm. a club like Stoke where you're not winning stuff. You know, you are you are clinging on to 1972, even when you're born in 1985. <laughs> like that nostalgia in the song, that one probably links to the club much more explicitly. But I keep I keep wanting to write a very like a, like a Stoke City song, but. I'm not going to put something out if it's... I don't want to do anything kind of contrived and obvious. I don't want to do the kind of thing that the team would sing for a single if they got to the League Cup final. The <laughs> final you know, with the kind of like obvious rhymes about yeah. running up the wing and all that kind of... Like, I want to find something, a proper good niche and, and like I do, and then write about something particular. Um, and I keep coming up with ideas and fumbling around with them, but if it's not going anywhere, I will just, I'll just bin it off and and wait for the right thing to come along. But I hope for the next few years, I will have a song that I'm like, right, this is my Stoke City song. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? And I tell you what, I'm, I'm excited for when that day comes. Because <laughs> your worlds are intertwining, aren't they? Your yeah. music and your love for Stoke-on-Trent and then Stoke City. And it's all just becoming this one blur together. Yeah, that's the hope really, yeah. It's just nice to see. You know, something rewarding for you. I talked about the Wizards, but I mean, you've had your music played at games. Yeah. Like, how's that? That <laughs> the first time that happens, and they, they played because like they put one of my music videos on, and again, I made that music video. I filmed it on my phone mm-hmm. and edited it on my laptop and put it out on YouTube, thinking not much of it, yeah. and then it's being played at the stadium. And bizarre experience, but amazing at the same time to think. Because, I mean, it was like before kickoffs. So you know what before kickoffs like? The ground looks mostly empty. But when you think about it, there's still hundreds and hundreds, possibly thousands of people kind of like scattered around the ground when it was mm. on. That was bizarre. And then it, and, it, and they've played it a few times since. And um, my favourite time they played it was before we... Um, I don't know if you remember this specific game. It was with Chelsea in the League Cup. The mm. one when Jonathan Walters absolutely smashed that uh, shot into the, into the roof of the net. Mm-hmm. Beat him, I think it was 2 1. Yeah. Butler pulled off that absolutely mint save. Yeah, the song was played before that. And I mean, I've, I've re- referred to that a few times to people saying that, like, the lack of playing my songs before the game has probably led to our ultimate relegation. But <laughs> but that was my favourite time it was played. And then the, the most surreal moment was I was going to, I sang at the, the big sleep out uh, a couple of years ago. So yeah. I kind of went around almost like busking, I guess, like just going around and saying to a group of people. <laughs> you like to hear a couple of songs before that that was Watford at home nil nil dreadful game and I was interviewed pitch side by Chris Iwalumu mm-hmm. <laughs> before the game in the dugout and I was on the big screen and everything and it was just a surreal moment where I'd entered the stadium through a door I'd never knew existed yeah I was kind of chaperoned through suddenly I'm at the side of the pitch and then I'm interviewed and then I'm chaperoned back through and then sent up a lift back to my seat and stuff and it's like <laughs> It was just, it was it was so cool, but so funny as well. And some mates took pictures of me on the big screen and all that kind of stuff and were sending them to me during the game. And I was just like, what a, what a surreal little moment. Because before you knew it, I was just sat in my seat watching the game. Yeah. Like nothing had happened. And I, and, I, and I 
put my hat on and stuff because it was cold. So no one around me even noticed <laughs> like, mm. it, like that, I, that I'd been on the screen or anything like that, which I mean, it wasn't like looking around saying, you know, everyone have a look at me or whatever. But it was just like dead funny to think that moments ago I was there. But you're right, like the world's kind of like merging, intertwining. That was a really kind of like pertinent <laughs> moment where the music had led me to pitch side. I'd almost like, you know, written a song that would get me in the team kind of thing. <laughs> and to be honest, at the time, I reckon I would have I would have probably improved elements of the team, but you know, <laughs> falls on deaf ears, doesn't it, sometimes? <laughs> of course it does, yeah. And just to think, all of that started from, as you said, just recording with the art top in your bedroom. That's it, yeah. It's it, it is funny, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing where stuff like that can take you with the right with the right idea and the yeah. right focus. And you must have put some determination into that. This just didn't happen in five minutes, did it? No, no. But I didn't intend for Merriman to be a thing. Of course. I just I was going to open mic nights, and I'd had some songs that I'd written at uni that I was getting bored of. Mm-hmm. So I wrote some more, and I thought I'm going to put a video out for a bit. I was it was like almost like what can I do? Oh, I'll make a video for one of them. And then the success of that kind of means I'm now doing a thing. And that thing now has been happening for uh, four years now, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I never intended really to say, right, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be this, this, this songwriter called Merriman. And I'm going to do lots of these cultural events. And I'm going to put, I'm going to release three albums and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be interviewed, Pitch Side by Chris Ulumu. I never kind of thought that any of those things were like yeah. there were no targets of those kind of things I thought I just thought I want some new songs that I can play at open mic because I'm getting bored of the current songs I'm playing and it just kind of snowballed and it's been great <laughs> it's just great fun you know and it makes it all the more rewarding when you didn't expect these things and then they oh, yeah. happen anyway it's even better it's great and I, and I think it's such a, a great story I think it's just reward for the passion that you've got for the place and broadcasted that to people like you've clearly got the passion because you've done it in, in other areas because one example of that is you've written for dot magazine uh yes, I've, yeah. I've spoke with bunny he's a lovely bloke and he runs a great mag tell me how that come about so i uh, i know bunny so i work at school and he's and his kids go to the well did go to the school mm-hmm. so we kind of had a tentative link through that and then um there was another link with uh, lee hawthorne the other writer who mm-hmm. was who's married to a friend kind of like you know one of those tentative kind of links and so i was you know knocking around doing bits and bobs and, and bunny just like kind of got in touch and he just said do you want to write something for the mind because i do like obviously i like writing i'd written i'd done i'd done a couple of music blog things that i was kind of promoting i'd written for a couple of blogs and he said do you want to write something about stoke and i was like oh, go on then and I, and I will do that again soon it's just a uh, every time i've kind of come up with a, an idea of what to write about with it the team and the whole thing seems to have gotten worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the idea I was going to write about kind of like fell away and I've still got ideas of new things I'm going to write and I will write them because obviously Michael O'Neill is now going to turn our fortunes around, Absolutely. of course. Um, so yeah, hopefully you'll see some words from me soon again in Duckmag because it is a little while since that article uh, went out. But I, I did enjoy writing. I wrote it about kind of the disappointment of the of the early rowett reign and the lack of identity the team was showing mm-hmm. when we've been promised so much about identity and it was all that kind of crossover of what does a person from stoke-on-trent want from their football team well they want what they are expected of in the workplace you know reliability and, and graft and determination and teamwork and all that kind of stuff and and it, i mean it wrote itself really because what we weren't seeing on the pitch was exactly what we wanted to see from a team 
you know, from in Stoke-on-Trent. But yeah, I, the world's overlapping. Yeah, writing for Duck Magazine's been great fun, and they did a they did a feature on me recent more recently where I where I kind of like I was interviewed by Bunny about kind of like like kind of like this in a way about my life as a Stoke fan, but you know slightly different questions and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's funny how it all overlaps. But like you say, you know, when you're passionate about something in your local area, these things are going to overlap. That's it's inevitable. Of course they are when you live and breathe it. And they're all under the same umbrella. Of course, they're going to overlap, especially when you you mention mutual friends as well. Whether yeah. they're forced through work or whatever, or they're forged through football, they're they're going to happen. I mean, as I say, we wouldn't have forged this relationship if it wouldn't have been for football. So, absolutely, yeah. there you go. And and another example of a passion. You've been involved in Unita eighteen sixty three, right? That's right. Yeah. So when we were relegated, I'd gone to Stoke for about 10 years in the same season ticket I sat next to my uncle and uh, my uncle my uncle passed away the, the, the in the last season in the Premier League mm-hmm. and I and I kind of like I sat on my own really for that that season because we kept I kept the same seat and I knew the people around me as you do but then because like it was a bit of a flat kind of experience on the pitch as well as kind of like off the pitch and you know my uncle not being there and stuff like I was I find it quite tough actually like the, the whole thing and then I saw that there was a group of fans saying right we're going to start this uh, this 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 new corner we're going to start a fan group and it's going to be about positive mentality it's going to be about singing and what have you and I thought right I'm going to take the punt and I'm just going to move on my own I'm going to get a ticket bang in the middle of it I'm just going to hope for the best because a lot of my kind of like closer friends around Stoke either aren't Stoke fans or do stuff like you know, like bizarre things like play cricket and, you know, things that you <laughs> can't get your head around. Um, so they won't, they don't come the games regularly. Mm. So the season ticket thing with, with like a, a friend that I kind of like and I see regularly wasn't really an option. So I thought I'm just going to land myself in it, but I'm going to make myself part of it as well. So that's exactly what I did really. I, I kind of I promote this stuff on Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff a lot. And I got in touch with them and I was like, here are some ideas for songs and lyrics and things we could do. And, you know, and I, and I turn up at the game and, and meet with them there. And I, I was, I hold some of the banners and flags and stuff like that, which obviously there's a lot of mixed opinions about fans holding flags and stuff and being, you know, faux European ultras and all this kind of like <laughs> stuff. You know, when you do anything positive, you're always going to get your critics, which is, I just think it's dead good fun. Like just seeing what, how people get angry over people wanting to have an nice time and stuff but you know what it's been a it's been a bit of a savior for me really because i've i've met in that corner at this point i'd probably say there's a there's a good 20 odd people now who i go i can speak to before the game speak to during the game speak to after the game who you know when i was back up in in block two there were a couple of people that i knew but i kind of everything had fallen apart a little bit for me up and up in block two in a way so it's really been the savior for me for me attending the games so uni straight in 63 has been it's been mega for me i mean it's been a bit of a funny one really because there was all this we were the big spenders in the championship when we went down and we had this 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 young up-and-coming manager and we were going to turn things around it's going to be dead exciting and then it wasn't and then we got jones in and it was going to be the same thing young up-and-coming manager and it's going to be dead exciting and then it wasn't so you can imagine trying to start a singing section at a football ground when the atmosphere is generally flat and frustrated is incredibly difficult. Yeah, absolutely. There's moments where in that corner there's four of us chanting and your response is people are like looking at you thinking, what's wrong with you? What, what are you doing? This, this is garbage. And we're thinking, yeah, 
we are three nil down at home to Leeds. <laughs> this is garbage, and we are chanting, and we are chanting Nathan Jones's red and white army, and we are nowhere near an army. No, <laughs> but we're having a nice time, and there's been some real moments where, like positive moments with positive results, where that corner has been absolutely brilliant, like away, like kind of like away game atmosphere, people all over the place, and it was the the game against Wigan with with Jufi's uh, last minute winner that was brilliant you know there was just like a lot of a lot of people on each other and and that's what you want and I've still got like I've got a bruise on my shin it hasn't even gone to like a bruising colour yet it's just still kind of raw and we're you know <laughs> Thursday now and I'm I'm waiting for the bruise to come out so I know it's it's about to be over because obviously we're going to beat Blackburn it's going to happen again um, <laughs> but yeah that I'd miss that you know and and it's been great fun and if we can string together a running results where the atmosphere will just boost in general i think it'll really take off again because it is all about in that corner about positives and trying to not yell abuse or get upset with things and just like if thing if the game goes flat start chanting start bringing the atmosphere because it must have an effect on the player if the st- if if the stadium's going good you know the, if the atmosphere is electric it must charge you up because you've got to look at the early Pulis kind of Premier League games. The atmosphere was sucking the ball into the net. Mm. You knew we were going to score at the end of the game. Like yeah. it'd be nil-nil and you knew we were winning, winning that game because of the atmosphere. It was just, there was just something about how that ground felt. You know, do you remember that Man City game where uh, Delap got sent off for that chat tackle on uh, Sean Wright Phillips? Uh-huh. And the ground was so angry mm. it felt like it could have lit- just literally either imploded or exploded like yeah. it just felt and everyone was just on the edge of the seat in so many ways and then when Beatty scored that goal uh, it was just whatever that must have read on the Richter scale I don't know but <laughs> that kind of but you knew we were going to beat him because we were like how dare you get one of our players sent off mm. how dare you and it was probably it probably was a legitimate red card <laughs> yeah was like how dare you come here and do that yeah and it just you just knew it we had we had 10 men but you knew we were winning the game because the just the, the atmosphere in the ground was just absolutely everyone was just saying no chance no no way you come in here and doing this to us and it was amazing and and I think you know trying to bring that kind of noise back in whatever way you know and it's and what what that unita bit is it's another section of the ground aiming to make noise yeah. you've got you've got the 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 area behind like next to the away end which is which is probably the, the noisiest part of the ground i'd say you've mm-hmm. got the booth end which can get can get going from times and that kind of noise will then resonate you you see it sometimes when it's when thing when you're chanting well in that corner it starts drifting around you know around to the you know the side stands and stuff and it's it's effort and it's tiring sometimes. Like I always take a bottle of water, um, <laughs> but it, there are there have been moments where it's really got going, and, and you think you know this 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 must give some kind of additional kind of you know adrenaline rush to some players. I now, think I, so. Yeah, Tom Edwards when he scored that goal last season, I, I feel like we kind of chanted him to shoot, you know, <laughs> chanted him all the way up the pitch, and, and you know because we were right on his right behind him all that game, mm-hmm. you know. But but I think it's. It'll take time, yes. you know, as anything like this does, and it'll have more critics, open critics, than it will uh, people who say it's great to start off with. But I know that being part of it, it's been it's been great so far. It's been good fun. The good people as well, lots of good lads up in that corner, uh, wanting to have a laugh, wanting to come up with some good chants and stuff, and 
you know, it, it'd be nice to have a good catalogue of, of fun chants about different players and what have you. Just need a bit of a run of results so every so more people get into a singing mood, I think is the key. It's it's very difficult to try and I spoke about it on the podcast before about trying to break the vicious circle. It works both yeah. ways because you mentioned when it was going well, the fans were singing, and when the fans are singing, the players do well, and it keeps going and keeps going. And then eventually right. something yeah. breaks that cycle, as it did under sort of Marcus and Yeah. And a couple of seasons ago, and that broke the cycle, and look yeah. where we are now. And it's almost the opposite. It's very difficult to get the crowd going because the players aren't playing it. well, and then they can't play. But when like James McLean was absolutely clattering through Wigan players, mm. he was coming back. Stoke fans like nothing more than things like a player furiously pressing the ball. I don't think, as a group of fans, we're necessarily after fantastic tricks and incredible goals Never. and silky skills. What we want is for the opposition goalkeeper to feel like he's going to have his legs broken if he doesn't get rid of the ball very quickly. <laughs> And we're all going, come on! Like that, I feel like that gets the people out of the seat. You know, a good aggressive press more than anything else. And we had that against Wigan. You know, there were spells where we were absolutely at them at every moment. Yeah. You know, winning a ball in the air, that gets the, a massive reaction off the crowd at Stoke. You know, and it is like a good old-fashioned kind of like working class, you know, one-for-all kind of job. And I just think... I think Michael O'Neill might have it. I think he might uh, <laughs> he might be the one who's going to just kind of say, right, come on, simple things now, boys, and that's, you know, second ball and all that job. I think you're right. All Stoke fans are after is the simple things, just earn your place. Yeah. And that and that's one of the catalysts. And I think Unita is another catalyst. You mentioned it's Ooh. going to be very, very difficult to try and turn the fans with a growing singing section. But... It's got to start from somewhere. It's not something that's come from the club directly, and it's not something that's going to come from the club directly. It was always going to come from the fans. Yeah, the club have um, the club have been good though with it. They like, they have yeah they've been accommodating with the season ticket move. By the way, yeah. if anybody wants to go and have a sing song, go move over. Yeah, because they're more than open to it. I think it's free to change your seat, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I moved from block two to there, so a season ticket was like a couple hundred quid cheaper. So actually, I got a free move and two hundred quid back. Oh wow! Like, How about that? So free me, win then. I mean, it was just a non-stop bonus for me. Like, and you're enjoying uh, it more. Like, I've got it's a happy situation it, in the ground. And, yeah, it's um, making the best of a bad situation at the moment, isn't it? At its worst, yeah. and when it gets going, it's just going to be the catalyst for kicking everything off. Like, I've I've been to Bundesliga games, and yeah. That catalyst to get things going again can make the difference in games. It did when I was there and saw the couple of games over there. It makes a difference. It doesn't get old. Yeah. It always gets the crowd going. The same way that a strong tackle gets the crowd going. Yeah. A strong, powerful backing from the fans will get the players going. So okay. I think it's nice to have that there. Yeah, it's it's fan culture as well, isn't it? Like the the whole part of the the idea of, you know, going to the ground with, with like flags and banners and it's just like buying the fanzine rather than the program hmm. and, you know, having having certain kind of badges or, or you know, just... The, I, I really I really enjoy a lot of the culture that surrounds football, like this podcast, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the little bits of, of niche media yeah. and, and iconography and what have you that surround a football team, especially a football team that's not like some kind of worldwide franchise, kind mm. of like a Man United or something like that. And I think... The, the whole idea of the Unita thing that buys into that that niche fan culture that really appeals to certain types of football fans. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly appeals massively to me because, like you're saying about the Bundesliga, 
I find that kind of stuff quite intriguing. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy kind of like uh, I enjoy reading about it as well, like how certain things are done and what have you. And I, and I think over time you need to could could turn into something that is that's quite interesting. Like there's talk of there's loads of talk of different things behind the scenes with with, with what what can be done. But I think the form of the team has kind of stalled the process, especially when Nathan Jones joined and we made all those signings and we were thinking, right, we're going to have a season of really good fun now. There were lots of ideas as to what was going to happen, both in the stands and, you know, just around the ground and mm-hmm. in the community. There, were, there was talk of a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then we started losing every single game and conceding within the first two seconds of every game. So you didn't even have a period of hope. And then that kind of everything's been stalled mm-hmm. in a way. The bigger plans. I mean, the meeting up and the singing has always been there, like the core of it. But the bigger plans kind of had to just take... Not, I think the bigger plans just... It, would have been daft to try and put them in place while the team were just such a such a, an easy kind of target for for criticism and, and and all that kind of stuff. So I think a good run of form, and I think we'll find that you need to all take off in other ways, and it'll be great. It'd be great to be part of it. And I think a lot more people will be interested as well and enjoying. And I think it'll start growing with that kind of a run of form or something. I think it will as well. And there's so many niche areas of fan culture these days podcast unita fanzines the lot and it's just these little things like stokeware back in the time they add up to be more than the sum of their parts and mm-hmm. it just becomes this force you're right there's no one fan page for stoke for me that sticks out it's the whole fan culture that's it yeah and everybody's engaged by something and that's what really matters yeah and I tell you what, and speaking about more of the sum of the parts, let's go on about it and talk about some of your favourite players. Let's go for the Files FC, eh? Okay, let's do it. Right, so, Bob, I would like you to run through your ultimate Stoke team of past and present. Ideally, this is one goalkeeper and then two each of centre-back, full-back, midfielder, winger and striker, but plenty of people have broke the rules. Don't worry if you haven't got that. If you can give a reason for each one, that's great. Anyone that isn't in the team gets a vote towards the main team, which you can find on the website. Uh, you can nominate subs as honourable mentions if you'd like. So, if you don't mind, take us away with goalkeeper, please, mate. Okay. I, I will say I am playing 4-4-2. I'm not messing around. You know, I am going very, very straight with this. Okay. Thank you very much. So, my keeper, I'm going to go with, with Tommy Sorensen. Okay. I think he was one of the first... When we, when we were promoted into the Premier League, he was one of those first kind of like big, reliable names that we brought in that kind of made it feel like this was a, this was a big step up. And just that run of saving penalties was just like, you just felt like when the opposition won a penalty, it wasn't a given they were going to score. You know, it's a given now that we will miss the penalty. That's how we feel now, yeah. (laughs) At that point, it was like, you've won a penalty, but you know, you're nowhere near scoring it because we've got Thomas Sorensen in goal. And then the passion he showed, you know, there's that iconic image, isn't there, of him jumping on BT. And he looks like he's about to like literally just eat his head. (laughs) Uh, Just, he was a really great pro and, you know, and a good keeper, you know, he, he was a big part of that FA Cup run team. So he, he gets my vote yeah. as, as, as number one. So my centre-back pairing, my first centre-back, I'm going to go with Michael Dubry. Uh, okay, I think he's our first mention, actually. Yeah, because the biggest reason is because I like the idea of being in the crowd and shouting doobs like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's my number one reason, because I think <laughs> that's even more satisfying than hoof, you know. Oh, um, okay. 
But that kind of period of Stoke City history where they were becoming quite a difficult team, they were a difficult team to follow. Mm. I felt that he, because he had, he was a recognised name and he had pedigree, he was he was an engaging presence and a, and a player that people recognised and a player that people talked about. And he was a good pro as well, you know, massive presence, big tackles, big headers. And he might not go down in Stoke City history as one of the greatest centre-halves we've ever had. But for me, in that particular kind of like period of time, he was he was a name in that team that that that, I, that resonated with me. So he's my first pick at centre half. Mm-hmm. My second pick has has appeared quite a lot. He'll be wearing football boots and not flip flops uh, because he'll be absolutely lambasted by my captain. <laughs> uh, but it's Abdullah Fay. Oh, nice. That season, and 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 every Stoke fan knows what I'm on about straight away, don't they? That season, that first season. Yeah. I have never seen a defender play like that before or ever again <laughs> he was mint he would not clear the ball he would collect the ball in a very precarious situation and dribble it out he was a ridiculous player and he'd score goals you know Newcastle away for example there was something about that it was the unique element of how he played because he was phenomenal as well the defensive thing like he would just he, he wasn't there to be beaten I can't, you can tell by the way I'm almost stumbling over my words because I've not seen a defender like that before <laughs> or since. Because we've we've had players like Shawcross, Huth, etc., who have very much been excellent at getting rid of dangerous situations. Mm. And Faye created the dangerous situation himself and then came out of it. He wasn't someone who would just clear his lines. And I just, he excited, he was a, a footballer, it was centre half that excited me. And normally those players aren't there to excite you, are they? They're mm-hmm. there to alleviate the danger yeah. and give it to the exciting players. So that's my second centre half. Good choice. At uh, right back, I'm going to go with Andy Griffin. I think Andy Griffin was for a very long time. He was an incredibly stable, reliable presence in the team. Obviously, captain. He came up to the Premier League with us. He was a massive part of that promotion team. And I don't think we've had a right back of the same kind of pedigree. For, for a very long time really um, I was torn between him and, and, and Hofkins along with Griffin because I feel just as a character yeah. I, uh, I you know what, what he brought to the team um, I was torn between those two for a long time but I've gone with gone with Griffo Griffo is a good name for a Stoke player as well Griffo you know yeah, he's the kind of guy who's on the ground with you isn't he Griffo yeah. <laughs> that's my that's my, um, that's my right back my left back is, uh, is, is Clive Clark I mean, for me, I remember him more for the Autoglass Trophy win than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, he, he was, he was a, another left back, I thought, of, of really good pedigree. And we have struggled as a, as a club for, for so long with, with having not just good fullbacks, but with actually having fullbacks. It's been a long <laughs> time. Like, we, we just for years seem to have not had proper fullbacks. Mm. Because Danny Higginbottom was a centre half, really. And yeah. then we had, Mark, we had Mark Wilson. And now we've got. We've been playing James McLean, and now it's Ward, who's an actual fullback, but obviously he's had to come out of his fourth retirement. It's <laughs> Clark for me. When I look back in the, my kind of history with 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 Stoke, he stands out as being one of the best, most reliable, most sensible kind of like left back choices. I think for a for a solid team. So that's why that's why he gets the nod for me. Uh, and again, Clark was captain as well, wasn't he? So I've gone me, me back four are all massively captain material and and did and did captain the, the team at times. So that's me back four. So, me midfield, centre mid, yelling at Abdullah Fay constantly is, is Glenn Whelan. <laughs> yeah. And it's because of that, because of how much he must... For a small man, he was more terrifying than any 
anyone else really. Yeah. Uh, maybe apart from maybe Taggart. But Whelan, I feel that everything at Stoke fell apart when we let him go. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily him on the pitch. It's just him around the club. Yeah. He was a ma- he was a professional. He was determined. He took no sh- he took no uh, <laughs> he took no no nonsense off people, <laughs> and and he told people what he thought, and he was reliable as well, you know. And he came he scored goals when he needed to score goals, uh, you know. That, that that Spurs away in that first season, for example, was just yeah. what a moment that was for the club, and I feel like he held so much together with his spirit and determination and you can see it can't you with with the affection the Villa fans held him in and the affection the Irish fans hold him in and now in, in Scotland again people are still talking about him as a great player even though he's you know he's beyond his, his, his prime in his years but his determination keeps him going I just think he's such a brilliant determined reliable character so you'd have him in your team mm-hmm. of course him in your team um, and then I'm going to put kind of I'm going to put him next to him, but he'll be more advancing as a, a, a Graham Kavanagh. Mm-hmm. Great pass for the ball, reliable central midfield player as well. Which you, you've got to, you've got to be reliable. They can't go missing. Uh, so he was reliable, good pass for the ball. Came up with an important goal or two. You, you know, Auto Glass Trophy re- refer to that again. He was a threat, but also a very kind of like calming presence with the ball at his feet. You know, you've got to have someone knocking the ball around. And Zonzi is, is an obvious call for saying a centre mid that can do that. But I'm thinking for me in my lifetime, Kavanaugh probably contributed to a, a, a trophy win that meant a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my wingers, left wing Matthew Etherington. I mean, he was incredible for us. Absolutely brilliant. Goals and assists. I mean, he must have been in the last 10 years. There have not been many better out and out putting a ball into a box wingers in the Premier League, really. I agree. You know, that little spell we had, especially the kind of the FA Cup run, that kind of time for us. He was incredible. He, mm. he was so fast. He could pick the crosses he put in. And I mean, we had some big blokes in the in, in, in the box as well. You know, we'd have Sadibi or Fuller or Kenwin Jones. And then people like Beatty knew where, the, knew where the, the goal was as well. And having someone who can put a ball in like Etherington just meant that a team would have to constantly deal with crosses, which must be the most difficult thing to deal with probably as a defensive unit. Decent crosses from a player with incredible pace. Mm-hmm. And he just scored some great goals as well. And I think he, and he was unexpectedly good. How good he got was, I don't think anyone was going to call that. Um, so he's my left wing. And then my right wing, because this, he could play anywhere when he was fit, was, is, is Peter Hoekstra. Just because he, his skill and ability <laughs> when he was on the field and, and like fit was just above and beyond anything else you could see on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And he just did some absolutely wonderful things. His touch was fantastic. His, his kind of like his choice on how to dribble the ball past players was like just just wonderful to watch. Um, and I know that like he, he didn't he didn't play a great amount of games for us. You know he wasn't with us for ages because we got him obviously after his prime because that's how Stoke could get a player of that pedigree. Oh, of course. Well, he was he was one of those players, and we, you don't get him very often who gets you out of your seat. Yeah. You know, honourable mentions for that position would be like you know like Arnautovic for example as well. Mm-hmm. But there was something about Hoekstra, there was a classiness to him that was just beautiful. So that that's my midfield four. Mm-hmm. And up front, there's, I mean, this, I can't imagine anyone's going to vote for anyone. These are two are going to win out, aren't they? <laughs> so first of all, I'm going to go for Mark Steen, because Mark Steen kind of like sums up my childhood Stoke memories massively. Mm-hmm. He was such a great finisher. It's got absolute limbs on the lad, hasn't he? Just like could power that ball into the net. And 
the impact he's had culturally on football rivalries in the city. You know, Mark Steen is still still chanted by you know the seven or eight fans at Vale Park every weekend. Um, you know, Steen is still that he's still a name, isn't he? And he will forever. And he, he still he resonates with Stoke fans, doesn't he? Mm. I, I'd like in the like in the corner, and you need to just to chant Mark Steen songs again, like when the you know when the time takes you. Like United fans would chant Cantona's name. I think it's we have a similar affection for the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's and he's also very synonymous, isn't he, with that kind of the the Lumicari ninety two ninety three glory run that kind of time. Uh, and then me, 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 his partner up front, the most unplayable. And, Quite possibly the best striker of the Premier League era is Ricardo Fuller. Ricardo Fuller feels like our little secret. People don't realise how good he was. But if you, you know, get YouTube up and shove your phone in someone's face and say, watch these goals, they like can't believe how good he was. And because Stoke was so unfashionable during that period, people just ignored the fact that we had the best striker in the world. Mm. You know, look at what that goal against Villa. Who does that? No, exactly. No, no one's doing that. That goal against West Ham away. No one does that. But th- what he'd do over and over again is he'd take the ball into a position where it looked like there was no threat and he would just spin a man because he was massive as well as being so like, he had such a great touch, but he was such a unit mm. that he could just throw a defender out the way and suddenly there'd be a chance on and there wouldn't be a chance on with most players. But you couldn't get the ball off him when he was in the mood for it. But my 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 relationship with Tony Pulis is like massively affected by how Fuller's Stoke career ended because I just feel like he should have been, he should have had the the, the most incredible send off, mm. you know. And he he just kind of fizzled out in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Ricardo Fuller, I mean, you know. But probably when I'm an, I'm an old man, telling my grandkids about it, like like my granddad tells me about players now, you know, I'll probably be referring to Ricardo Fuller more than any others. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's that's my eleven. But yeah. I'd like to just my honourable mention goes to Jonathan Walters. Okay. Now Jonathan Walters didn't fit into this team because I didn't feel like the system suited him, <laughs> and these other eleven names I thought were were very important. But I'd just like to say that Jonathan Walters, I think, alongside Glenn Whelan, I think were, they were the two reasons that Stoke fell apart because they were not the only two reasons, of course. Charlie Adam, we've got to factor that kind of thing in as well for different <laughs> reasons. But um, yeah, Walters just. What an ambassador for the club! What a soldier! What a what what a wonderful example of someone working hard. You know, he, he was in a team where I, I really enjoyed his partnership with Bojan, where mm. Bojan had this incredible natural ability, and Walters had this incredible determination, and they just worked perfectly together. Jonathan Walters just, I think he embodied. He embodies what I want Stoke players to do and what, what I want Stoke players to be. Mm-hmm. People who look like they're just putting their life on the line to, to do anything, close a ball down, win a throw in. Everything, everything meant everything to him, didn't it? And just and he got me out of my seat more than more than a lot of players in that team when we had a lot of quality players. Because he'd do things like win a header against someone two foot taller than him. And you'd just be like, get in. You know, it's one of them ones where you do that kind of like that incredibly heavy punch just but just near yourself yeah. like your, your actual arms shaking you that kind of like excited by seeing it happen just i'm so glad that they've brought him back into the self like the club as a coach mm-hmm. because that kind of attitude i think you know you can't you can't put value on that kind of attitude i think like it's just it's insurmountable it's a reason why he was successful and it's a reason why all of the players that you mentioned were successful because they all had that sort of attitude 
And they've got their rewards through football. We've got our rewards yeah. through them. And they're still linked with the club now. We've we've had a relationship with these players past their playing careers, yeah. a lot of them. And I think that's great. And it just shows how good they were as players and how important they were to this team, but how important we were to them too. Yes. Well, I saw Jonathan Waters once. Um, Stoke were playing, I think it was Arsenal away. Mm-hmm. They were getting the train and I was going. It was snowed off, the game was. I don't know if you remember the Arsenal away game being snowed off, but mm-hmm. I went down to London. And Walters, I'm pretty sure it was that year it was Walters. Cause I, did, I did this twice, so I don't know if my games are getting mixed up. But anyway, Walters was was not, he, was, he wasn't he was 100% going to start because he wasn't 100% fit. And I, and the team were getting off getting off the coach and they went in through like what is now um, the, the Titanic bar. Um, and they walked through the first class lounge and they all got off and Walters didn't get off. And I was I had just been dropped off and I was kinda like just I wasn't doing that kind of starstruck, oh hi lads kind of thing. <laughs> but they were all it was almost like I just couldn't pass because they were all, like piling out with cases and what have you. And anyway, the coach pulls off and Walters pulls up in a taxi, separate from everyone else. And he was in some he was clearly kind of like a bit flustered by the fact he missed the bus or what have you. So I opened the door up for him and stuff and let him in. And he was ever snack, like we just like we had a very brief chat, but he was very, very nice. Mm-hmm. And it made like some footballers feel like they are a million miles away from me all the time, even yeah. if I was sat next to him on a train. Whereas Walters, that point, I just thought he's just he's this guy's just a bloke, isn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, he's just it's just someone who, who knows he's having a great time and who knows and who knows what this career means to to a lot of people. And so you know, he ticks a lot of boxes for me, Jonathan Walters does. And I think that's a big thing with those players. Their personalities were just grounded and it's different to how footballers are now the times have changed with football and i don't know if we'll see a group of players like that again well yeah if we do fantastic but maybe the game's changed and the motivations have changed the opportunity and the reward the alternative rewards that come through football but yeah those players clearly mean a lot to you and a lot of the younger listeners won't have had the pleasure of seeing these players play but i know a lot of the older ones will have listened to that team and gone Oh yes, like <laughs> nailed on it for its attitude and just how successful they all were, and for good reasons and alternative reasons, just from being good players. They were good people, as you mentioned. Yeah, and it's what's bought into this sort of Stoke identity. We mentioned that yeah. they don't have to be the best players in the world. They don't have to pull off the most amazing bits of skill. They don't have to score the goal of the season. Heck, they don't even have to be that successful in games or in league and cup competitions. They just need to get as excited, get as yes. feeling relatable and buy into Stoke's identity. That's it, yeah, buy into the buy into the club. And the identity of Stoke is something I want to ask you about. We've talked a lot about the identity of Stoke on Trent earlier. I think you've done a great job of explaining that. You also mentioned that Stoke City reflects that vision of the Stoke contract community as well. How important is that? How important is it that Stoke City represents Stoke on Trent? Well, football clubs, football clubs are a massive part of communities, aren't they? And I think a lot of people, myself included, you pin kind of like you pin part of your dreams on your football club, even though you're ultimately pretty helpless to to, to make any any changes yourself. It can affect your mood and everything, can't it? It's mm. massive. But I think in a city like Stoke-on-Trent, where it's a difficult city for a lot of people to 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 live in and and everything you know it's got so, there are plenty of issues with it mm-hmm. alongside all the positives that obviously you know I can talk about all day but that football club 
it presents an opportunity for a lot of people to have something on a Saturday to look forward to, to get involved and to feel part of a community, to, to let loose a little bit, to see friends, to see family. It's massive. I mean, I don't really, like my uncle, I didn't see him too much outside of football, but then I, I saw him every other week, you know. So I did see him constantly because of that. And my great uncle in, 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 in the residential home in Fenton, you know, he, he's at an age now where conversation is quite difficult with him, but not about football because he, we can just find that common ground in football because the club means so much to the both of us. Mm-hmm. It's always there. And it's the same with my granddad when I go see him because we're, we're generations apart and, you know, he's getting on his years and we live very different lives. A common grounding point for us are the, are the fortunes and largely misfortunes of Stoke City. And it means a lot to it means a lot to us all. And it's massive when you live in a city, you were born in that city, you're doing your bit to try and promote the positive message of the city to have kind of like almost like this hub where thousands of you can kind of get together with, with a similar mentality and, and try and gather momentum in, in, in lots of different ways. You know, I think a football club is much more than a football club. And I, and I think people who don't follow football don't quite see the, the, the big impact that it has and I'm not on about just Stoke I am on about you know I'm on about the Vale and I'm on about Crew and, and League Town and Osage and, and all the local football clubs you know they, they are massive for local community in, in so many ways and massive for the city in so many ways because they provide something that is that is an untangible community and, and elements of, of hopes and dreams that other, other elements of life can't, can't provide for you as easily you know, the the tragedy of, of Stoke losing that Premier League status meant that it disengaged, I think, a lot of potential generations, not not generations, but like a generation or so, mm-hmm. because they're at an age like I was when I was kind of like, you know, 11, 12 years old, where, you know, you're looking for a bit of glory, aren't you, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, and I think a lot of a lot of kids will 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 see this through with us this current period because of a family and because of their own desires and their own kind of like affiliations with the club, of course. But yeah, I think in answer to your question, it is this football club, just like a lot of football clubs are a lot more than just 11 players knocking a ball around. You know, a lot of people can argue that that's all it is, but I would argue that it's a lot more to a lot of people, especially in a place like, like Stoke and, and many other cities around the, around the country. And it brings people close together, as you just mentioned. Something I want to make a bit of a point of, really, is something you just mentioned about your relationships with your grandparents, and you mentioned about how you used to sit next to your uncle as well, and your dad got you involved. Yeah. Football and family, synonymous, I think. Absolutely. That's what you said earlier. Take the stage on that. I know it's something that you wanted to talk about. You highlighted it before the show. Just how important is football and family to you? Massive. I mean, I mean, I've, I've I kind of already talked about my uncle and then my great uncle and my granddad. My dad taking me down, and I cannot wait to take my kids to the football. I mean, I'll, I'll ease them in. I'll go to like, you know, I'll go see Lee or Sage with them, and, and maybe Macclesfield or somewhere early doors, so they can move a little bit more or what have you. Mm. But I can't wait to take my kids to the football, and, and and if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. You know, that's that's fine. That's up to them. Mm-hmm. But you see it around the ground. You see parents and kids and, and brothers and what have you, you know, going going to the football together and and you know friends that will meet up for that only time over that fortnight because they work away or the you know they, they live other sides of of the city or the county. It is massive in that respect and it can almost keep a family 
together in different ways, can't it? Because it gives that, that kind of unique opportunity to meet up and have a common grounding of conversation that, that, that can be away from anything else. You know, it's got a bit of escapism, you know, from from kind of difficulties and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it is absolutely massive, football and family, because it's, it's, it's where you start. You'll pass it on. You know, it's, you almost make it genetic, don't you? Mm-hmm. In the way you do that with with you, with your family, and I think it can just bring about a great enjoyment. I know I go around to I go around to my in laws like you know every other Sunday, and they have the football on, and whatever's on, it's common ground for everyone. Yeah. You know, who's into it, and the conversations just there, and you're just talking away, so you're not think you, you don't have to find your other niches because football presents such an opportunity for connection and conversation which and because it's so such a big part of british culture as well you know you've almost always got it there a new person joins the workplace you know yeah if you're into football then the conversation is there isn't it yeah and it's just like that conversation then will forever be there mm-hmm. while you get to know everything else about them as a person in a way and it's just a quick start isn't it and it's and it's just so important to have that kind of thing you know it's, like, it's almost like a social tool, isn't it? You know, and, and within a family, it can be mega. Yeah, and it's a stage for opportunities as well. I mean, like, with stuff like this and Unita and Wizard of Drivel and Bear Pit, Still Loud and Proud, the lot yeah. of them, right? Even you with your music. Do you think that you see a lot of similarities in yourself and your own ambitions with Stoke-on-Trent and Stoke City? I'm talking about that hard work to get stuff done and it pays its rewards. Yes, yeah, I, I certainly see that. Certainly see that with me in the city, and it's what I hope to see in the club. I don't know if I see it in the club as much at the moment as I'd like to see it. I think we might see a bit more of it over the next uh, couple of months. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, like I, I try and produce my music instead of looking at it from a right. How much money can I throw at this perspective? I think right. How can I make do and produce something with what I've got? Yeah. How can I dig in? Who do I know that can that will get involved in this? How can I work together with? Like at the moment, I've got a lot of projects uh, that I'm doing called uh, Live from the Six Towns, mm-hmm. and every month, pretty much, I'm I'm performing one of my songs live in a in a location around the city, and I'm working with a local filmmaker each time. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that I'll put a video out, they'll make a video, they'll promote me, I'll promote them. That should get them more work. Yeah. That should get me more gigs, you know, people listening to the songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of, it's not me going, right, I'm going to find a production company online and pay X amount of money to go and get something done. I'll put out a message on Facebook to see who I'm connected with or on Twitter or, or whatever mm-hmm. and then see who fancies having a go at doing something. And it is, I mean, I'm not saying that I want people to work for free with me or all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that, yeah. That it, well, and that it literally isn't the case with it. But it's a sense of, you know, there's a community of creative people here. Let's work together. Let's promote stuff. I, my music was used last year, I think it was, maybe even earlier this year, with a collection of photos. Someone, a photographer called Gareth Copley-Jones produced a series of photos of all the bottle kilns in Stoke-on-Trent. Mm-hmm. So to promote that series of pictures, he used one of my songs in the background. Mm-hmm. So both of us will benefit from that. You know, and little things like that, like, like, like the Wizard of Drivel thing, you know, they know now, like with my theme tune in there, I'll promote that podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would have said, oh, you know, 
listen to this podcast kind of like in conversation, but knowing that I'm part of it, I'll, I'll actively promote it in a of different course, way. Of course. They'll be actively promoting me in a way because I'm, I'm there as well. And it's and I think that's a very Stoke-on-Trent mentality that you've got to have. It's like, you know, we've got to be in this together. And that's what I want from the club. That's certainly how I kind of go about what I'm doing, what I'm doing creatively, and and that's what I want this, the city to do. And I think big factions of the city are doing, uh, you know, to, to the best of their ability. I completely agree. Uh, I mean, we've talked about some of the parts, and you've done that, as you say, by working with people and working with what you have and making the best of it and helping each other. It's all towards a more infinite goal. It's not about how popular you are or yeah, yeah. how much somebody likes something. It's just you're fighting your cause and yeah. your cause is Stoke-on-Trent and how popular That's that it, is. Yeah. That's the infinite game. That doesn't stop. You keep working towards that. It's not, right, I've reached this many listeners per month. I'm happy with that. Or, yeah. like, you'll never stop fighting the cause of Stoke-on-Trent, I'm sure. And yeah. with Stoke City That's as well. That's what I'm into, you know, more than anything else, Yeah, yeah. You're right. I hope that Stoke City see that mentality too. It's not just about where we are now and where we want to be in two, three years' time. It's what do we have? What is Stoke City about? And how can we push that agenda? How can we fulfil our purpose of where they are? Because I think that can be lost. I know there's other factors like financial fair play and other things like that involved, but we've been so focused on, on getting back to the Premier League. Yeah. And it's let us down time after time. Both seasons we've come on to this, we've said our ambition is to go up. Yeah. Sure, and I think that has to be there. You need a target to work towards, certainly. But yeah. I don't think that that should be the main cause because otherwise you lose what you're about. And I think you're yeah. right, Stoke have lost what they're about in a way. I think we mentioned about it with other people on the podcast before. We've lost that working together relatableness and the fans feeling part of something. That was ultimately where our that little that spell of success the Premier League kind of success came from having a very, very strong identity. Of course. You know, and really that needs to be the priority now is finding that because that that leads to the success. Yeah. You know, just trying to buy a promotion isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not going to work at our club because we've fluffed that up now probably three <laughs> times, haven't we now? Yeah. You know, we're not going to buy success because we're clearly not equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why, personally, I was disappointed when Nathan Jones left because he, okay, he didn't execute as well as he said he would and he made a lot of mistakes. I'm well open to admit that. But he presented to us how I think a football club should ideally be run with a vision, a long-term vision, not necessarily with tangible success coming from that, but feeling part of something. He mentioned, I will make a team of you to be proud of. Yeah. Ultimately, he didn't do that in the short term. No, but it is what we want, isn't it? Ex- it's exactly what we want. And that's what we've been missing. He t- he said the things that we want. Yeah. Like, But he just wasn't... I just don't think he had this capacity or the skill at this point in his career to deliver it at a club like Stoke. Exactly. It, he might go on to be a good manager. I think he will. On a neutral ground, I think definitely, and with a club more set up to adapt to change. I'm not saying that Stoke City wouldn't have wanted to get to the ambitions of the culture that Nathan Jones wanted to bring. In fact, that's absolutely why they brought him in. Yeah. But with, I'm talking about on the pitch, with the squad we had, yeah, yeah. they were old. 
Yeah. And I don't mean that as in the fact that they're past it. I mean that in the fact that a lot of them have played their careers and without mentioning names, some players just didn't want to adapt to a new thing. No. And for that, you need a young and hungry team yeah. who are mouldable and shapeable into the, the playing style that Jones want and off the pitch as well. Yeah. That culture needs to come from the club directly to the fans outside of the 90 minutes. And I don't think that that's happened enough. The match day has become very focused on the 90. Yes. And if it's bad, your day's bad. Unless we talked about your relationships through family and friends at the football. If there wasn't that, I think for a lot of people, it'd be a very, very miserable occasion. Yeah, And that and that is the case for a lot of people. They go down on their own. Luckily, you've got Unito, for example. But for a lot of people, I can see why they would get disinterested and move away. I feel like even if we were in the position we're in now, but the club felt like home, which it doesn't at the moment. It doesn't feel like home. It doesn't feel like it represents Stoke-on-Trent enough for me. I think that that's still the ambition of the club somewhat, but I think the way that football's changed hasn't helped with that. Yeah. And we've become much more corporate and need to survive and thrive in the short term than look at what we have now and build for the long term. Yeah. It's tough. We've mentioned a couple of things and we've mentioned a couple of things on other people with this podcast before about how Stoke can get its identity back. You mentioned Unita and things like that. How else do you think Stoke could get their identity back? It's, I think a lot of it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to what we've seen on the pitch and it'll resonate. Mm-hmm. I think you just need a manager who's going to say, right, you know, let's well get the right personnel on the pitch who will kind of put the, the desire in that we want to see that will lead to the results. And I think, and I know that's like me, I'm saying that like that's easy. And <laughs> not easy because obviously if it was easy, someone would just do it, wouldn't they? Exactly. <laughs> it's clearly a very difficult job, but I think that's the starting point. But then I think, you know, as a, as a fan base, I think pulling together and, and, and thinking that, I think if the fans could think like in, in, a, in, a, in a wider scale that we could have an impact I think that, that that would be a real positive because I think I mean you know if you're paying your money and you come into the games you've got every right to do whatever you want to do in the game you know you know as long as it's you know not <laughs> inappropriate um, mm. you know if you want to come along and not make a noise and and just criticise then it's, it's your right and it, of course it is. Of course. I think if everyone thought you know what if there's a patch of the game where Stoke aren't particularly playing well we're all just going to start singing or chanting or encouraging. I think that I'd have it. I think that I'd make an impact. Like as as untangible as that kind of thing is, I think it gives a bit of an adrenaline boost, a bit more inspiration, a bit of confidence, and I think that could be that could be a massive thing. And also, if they started playing my music before the games, we'd be like that little spell when we beat Chelsea in the League Cup. So oh god, yeah. I mean that needs to happen. Yeah, but that's just obvious. You know, that's just I don't understand why that hasn't just been happening. I think it's because it's too obvious. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe people are overthinking it. Yeah, if people, like, they'd have gone, well, if we play Merriman before the game, then it might just, people will expect to do well because uh, yeah. it, it always does well, you see. So yeah. they don't want to They don't want to potentially tie you in with a game where we where we lose, perhaps, and they're like, oh, no. Well, it wouldn't be my fault, would it? And, you know, that'd be... That'd be well, actually, no, because we'd always win, so that would never happen. It's a good point. So <laughs> there we go. We got the solution. How to fix Stoke's identity play Merriman before the game that's it yeah and I'll tell you what I think because I think we're at the point now where we've said a lot of what 
we wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, so we're at a point where we can wrap up. A question I've been asking everybody, and it just relates into what we've been talking about there then. If you had a chance to fit in at Stoke City, if they offered you a role somewhere, and you can be the number nine if you want to, where would you like to fit in at Stoke City, given the chance? Do you mean as a player, or do you mean as any part of the club? Yeah, any part of the club. You can be on the pitch if you want to, but okay. a lot of people want to be the physio, a lot of people want to be involved with the social media, a lot of people want to be the kit washer, which is interesting. But Well, I think I would quite like to be some some sort of... If I could be some kind of like cultural ambassador, Ooh. you know, and and if I could use the club to promote local culture around stuff like you know schools and 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 in lo- local areas and do a lot of little events and all that kind of stuff, I think uh, I think I'd be very I think I'd be good at that. To be honest with you, I feel like I'm suddenly I'm suddenly drifting into an, an imaginary job job interview here. If I could describe myself in three words, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think if if I could put myself in a role at the club, I would take on some kind of cultural ambassador role. And I try and forge much stronger links between the city and the club. As in, I wouldn't be playing kind of like throwaway American poppets before the game. I'd be playing local bands and appropriate local band songs for the right kind of mood and atmosphere. Much more imagery around the stadium of local stuff related to the history and all that kind of... Do you know what I mean? And then you'd use the club as a platform to send that out as well because... Stoke City as a football club is quite possibly the thing the city is most known for around the world. Probably right now. Stage, like most connected thing around the world. To, yeah. you know, we're probably most known for pottery around the world. I'd say historically, yes. But right now, I think yeah. the football is one of the driving things. Yeah. yeah. You'd use the platform, wouldn't you? And ultimately, if you could kind of like promote local culture through the club, that is a massive platform in which to do that. And people would take note as well. People who are engaged in football and not the local area might get more engaged in the local area through the football, if you know what I mean, using that kind of route. You know what? I think you've accidentally answered the question, how do we get our identity back? It's some things like that. It really is. And I I just love how you take everything back to its roots with Stoke-on-Trent and Stoke City. And you just know what it takes to find the identity and embrace it. You've been doing that with everything that you've done, like yeah. with your music and promoting that through Stoke City and, and, and writing for Dutmag and, and Unita, everything like that. I, I honestly find it remarkable and <laughs> motivational. I really do. I, I'm, I'm not just saying that. I, like, I think it's great that you're so passionate about something and have an effective way of communicating that passion. I think that's great. Cheers. Speaking of which, is there anything else you want to say, discuss, any shout-outs you want to give? If I'm going to shout-out, I'll shout-out Unita and, you know, get yourself in that corner. When the get, when the good times come, I think that's the place to be. Shout-out yeah. to Duck Magazine, great, great element of fan culture, Wizard of Drivel podcast, absolutely wonderful, uh, you know, way in which you can get you. Just, just listen to people break down what you've kind of been experiencing and it can it can spark conversation pretty well and i'm always going to put out a big shout out to the local music scene as well stoke-on-trent if you if you don't know about the local music scene there are loads of really good little venues that put on free gigs with original local music all the time all kind of genres if you're into metal if you're into more like urban hip-hop music or the kind of stuff i play which is kind of like indie and folk and stuff like that at your doorstep almost every week, you know, the Glebe, the Artisan Tap, little places like that. There's so many amazing opportunities to just go and then have a beer and watch some local music. And it's 
and that's another lovely way of experiencing local culture local poets you know as well there's there's loads of good local poetry local arts little cultural events i just encourage people to to engage with it if you've not if you've not had a go before it might not be for you but music art poetry all that kind of stuff around the city is is brilliant stoke on trans creative city and it it is thriving behind the scenes if you if you, you've got to go looking for it a little bit at the moment but that that's my big shout out get get involved in that kind of stuff you know there's there's plenty of people now who i see who are punters come to watch local music they don't play they're not in bands but they know that at least once a week probably two or three times a week they can go and watch a gig for free that is kind of feels like a little secret because you know these these are local bands and local people but it's original and it's and it's good quality you know what it's something i've never even considered personally and that's really sad isn't it so you know what i'm gonna have to now i tell you mate it's so inspirational honestly the stuff you talk about and i'm not just saying that because you're here i'm saying that because generally it just makes me want to go and do things it makes me want to go and experience new things and and i hope other people have found that as well with listening to this i think it's been great how you've talked about the area how well you promoted it and how you've turned it into something positive for people before we go i've got one more question okay and that question is i'd like you to describe your stoke city story in three words for the title please mate i may have caught you off guard with this one so three do these three words need to run logically after one another in a sentence or can they just be three random words however you want it to be people <laughs> have gone for example mark aspley did stoke loud proud other people have let it run on in three consecutive words however you feel whether you've whether it's something that's deep rooted within you whether it's something that you said today and it just resonates <laughs> yeah you have caught me off guard let me think. i caught you off guard because i didn't prompt it at the start i normally yeah. prompt with people this at the start it's absolutely fine let me have a, let me have a little think <laughs> let me think what do i want to say i want to say something like let me let me let me talk it out and then uh-huh. i might come to a conclusion with it all i can help you if you need it yeah i want to i want to although say you're the lyricist here so yeah i know <laughs> this is how we process as you see i will <laughs> i will write it out in the long wind fashion and then like chop it this is it. We're getting the insight of how to yeah. write music, everybody. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> massively useful, this. Um, so I want to talk about how they are, this idea that it is, that being a Stoke fan for me now is so deeply ingrained in me that it is unavoidably, like it's an unavoidable kind of part of my character. So maybe something along the lines of, just let you know how I think on my mind. Hmm, something along those lines. Made of clay. That's what I want. Made of clay. Yeah. Well, go for it. Because I think you are made of clay. It certainly runs through your veins, mate. I'm going with it's that. It's not blood. It's clay running through those veins. And, and I'm proud of it. I know it is. I think as well. It ticks the boxes. It definitely ticks the boxes. I think you've ticked every box of what you wanted to talk about on the show, mate. And it's been wonderful. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. I've had a nice time. Good combo. Yes, absolutely. Thank you ever so much for sharing your story and coming on. It like honestly, it's been really great for me to talk to you and hopefully for people to listen to as well and they found a bit more inspiration for promoting their area you know stoke's not that bad a place right no and interesting beyond interesting beyond interesting as you've proved with many many things with what you've done yeah so thank you very much for sharing that story it's been wonderful cheers thanks and with that that's closed file 17 of the yyy files just reminders to people at home that the show relies on people like bob to come and share your story too 
If you want to appear on the YYY files and create your file, head to the website at theyyyfiles.com. If you enjoy the file and you want to hear more, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and leave us a review. But most importantly, tell your friends about the show. Me and Bob mentioned this earlier. Just the best recommendation you can have is through other people. Of course, the best recommendation is finding it through yourself. But the next best is finding it through those close to you. Because, of course, football and the area Stoke-on-Trent and life generally just means so much to everybody. So, yeah, go and tell your mate if you've enjoyed this and maybe it'd be nice for them as well. On social media, come and find us at the YYY files or email the YYY files at mail.com if you've got any questions. Again, all addresses and handles have no dashes, no spaces and no caps in them. That just leaves me to say one more time. Thank you, Bob. Cheers. Thank you very much for listening. Until the next one. But don't forget, it could be your file one day. Busy need to put you up. Handsome man.